So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection, with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock, bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Thursday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields, and I have here with me Gene Victoria Norlock. How are you, Gene? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you doing? I'm just doing wonderfully. We had some sun that came out this afternoon, and you know how I am when I see the sun. Oh, shush. Well, shush. I hadn't seen it in days. Fun. Days. Days. Hadn't seen it. I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 I suppose we shouldn't complain, though. We still have roofs over our heads. Yes. Some out there this week haven't been so lucky, so... Oh, every week, sadly so, but... People doing something about that in places, I hear. Rumors <laughs> of... Up there at... Uh, was it Detroit? Yeah, occupied Detroit. Uh, went to visit uh, this place that has set up and, you know, inventoried the vacant foreclosed houses and determined that there's more of those than there are homeless people. So they're waiting until the vacant houses get robbed, you know, where somebody comes and rips all the copper out and stuff. They wait until that happens, and then the banks determine they're worthless and sell them for like $5,000. And they go buy them and put homeless people in them. Hmm. And I... Never met the man that's in charge, but I love the guy because he was standing there saying, see, see, we don't get any federal funds, so we get to do things just because we think it's the right thing. <laughs> and I, I was just, oh, there's a man after my own heart right there. <clears throat> it's freedom. We raised the money. They gave it to us. We do what we think's right. <clears throat> but it, it's only logical. I mean, it only makes sense. You've got these houses that are sitting there, and they're broken down. They're dilapidated. And nobody's there taking care of them. So the longer that they're there, the worse they're going to look. They're bringing down the property value of all the buildings that are around them and, and the communities around them. And the crime rate in those areas is up because there's nobody living in these houses. And it just makes sense to put people back in the bloody houses. I mean, you've got people living on the street who don't have shelter and they don't, you know, they don't have anywhere to sleep. They don't have anywhere to raise their kids. They don't have a backyard for their kids to play in. They don't have anything to love and to care for and to call home. So you take these homeless people who want something to love and care for and call home, and you take these homes that need somebody to love and care for them, and you put them together. Sounds like the perfect match. It sounds like the perfect <laughs> The crime rate does what? It drops. Why? Because uh, there's people in the houses. <laughs> and these guys have the stats to prove it. They, they're keeping stats on every place they put somebody back into a house, and uh, uh, the crime rate goes down and the property values stop going backwards and eventually start to come back up again, but they at least stop going backwards. 
I mean, yeah. you talk about how ridiculous does it have to get? Does it have to get? That's you know. I mean, this has gotten to the point where they're ripping down, ripping down houses in communities in order to save the property value, rather than putting people back in these homes. Which are plentiful. They're plentiful. There's there's lots of homeless people around, and they're not you know the mental patients that aren't being cared for, which is a whole different show. Um, but, yeah, it's totally uh, a whole different show. But I guess um, shout outs, maybe, and then a quick musical break, and then we'll bring our surprise guest on. Yes. All right. Sounds fair to me. So let's see. We play my end music. What are we going to do here? Something strange. I well, think. you're thinking about music. I'll give my shout outs. Okay. <laughs> shout outs to all our listeners. All our regular um, listeners, all our fam that um, is here and not here and just now popping in. Uh, and, of course, to our family at Inner Child. Uh, all our love, all our respect. And, um, because today's the day over in Inner Child, is it not? March oh, 1st? yeah. Today today's was the day. Today, publication day for the magazine. Inner Child magazine. Publication day, first issue. I strongly suggest everybody go check it out uh, as soon as you have time. Sadly enough, I, even as an author for the magazine, I haven't had time. Uh, shame on me. <gasps> That's okay. I, I didn't get there today either. Sadly, I haven't been on the computer, so that might be why. That might but be why. Yeah, today was today was the day. And um, that's awesome because that's, you know, that's a whole bunch of time and energy and love put into that amazing package that they've put out. So I'm sure it looks fantastic. And so for anybody who's interested in finding them, uh, stop by Inner Child at uh, www.innerchild.ning.com. Innerchild.ning.com. That's the family. Mm -hmm. Definitely go see them. And uh, check out the magazine because I just looked and really, it's they're up there. <laughs> Articles and things, really everything. I looked yesterday; it wasn't there. That's awesome. That's why today. You got a song for us? Yeah, I thought we'd play some Dana Harmon. Uh, Lost Love. Uh, this is a quick one, so we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
All right, folks, that was Dana Harmon uh, at www.danaharmon.com with Lost Love. And we're back now with tonight's special guest, Mitch Schultz. How are you, Mitch? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Great. So glad you could join us. Absolutely. I have so many questions. Where do we start, huh? Uh, how about who the hell are you and what do you do? <laughs> That's a great place to start. I uh, My name is Mitch Schultz. I am a uh, filmmaker, director, producer, and uh, been working in the film business or independent film business for over a decade and uh, only working on other people's projects and finally decided to go make my own. And this is, uh, I guess, one of the reasons that we're here tonight, DMT, the spirit molecule. Well, what the hell is DMT? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see where I start with that. The uh, DMT is a it's dimethyltryptamine, for those that are unaware. And uh, dimethyltryptamine is a compound that uh, we can find all over nature. Uh, it comes from tryptophan, a few enzymatic steps, as uh, Dennis McKenna likes to say. Uh, and it's a compound that is even produced in our bodies, which, which brings up a lot of interesting questions. But it's also the strongest psychedelic or psychoactive um, that humans know about. And it has very particular... Um, and common experiences for people that take it, uh, very mystical states, uh, speaking to entities, traveling to other dimensions. And uh, Dr. Strassman, Dr. Rick Strassman, did some research with this compound uh, back in the early 90s. And we've kind of based this, the uh, the documentary loosely on that, but also looking at it in a broader cultural context and, and even kind of philosophical context. Yeah, I'll tell you, I've watched it, loved it, fascinated by it. We'll probably watch it again. Because, you know, I didn't quite get it all the first time. It's kind of one of those films that, you, you know, Densely there's a packed. few films out there that you can watch multiple times and get something new from it every time, I think. And that just happens to be one of them. Now, I'm, before we get into DMT, the spirit molecule, and the movie and the making of and all that stuff, can we um, take a bit of a step back and go back to how you got into film in the first place? Like, that's a crazy industry to be in. I know. I'm doing it, too. We're trying to end. Well, yeah, she's done it before and is crazy enough to do it again. I'm, and I'm crazy enough to want to do it the first time, so... I can tell you it's extremely rewarding. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, uh, especially well, you know, on all levels, but uh, particularly on the independent level. And really, what got me into filmmaking, storytelling. I think more than anything, I, I've always been enthralled by by stories and myths and, and and different powers and supernatural. And that's been a big part of my life. And I've always kind of poked around in the curious realms. And there was. Um, well, actually, the uh, biography of Jim Morrison was kind of what the date was. Awesome. I was, I was reading that book, uh, No One Gets Out Alive, and I remember reading about him early in L.A. trying to go the filmmaking route. And I guess there was a particular exercise that they had to create a film. And being Jim Morrison and liking to shock and awe people, he, he did that. And there was something in that moment I remember reading seeing how the class responded to the material. And, and you know, Jim's was, had Nazis and sadomasochism and a lot of other strange things that really got people riled up, as you can imagine, in the early 60s. And it was at that moment where he just said to hell with it and, and walked out. And, and to me, that was just such a strong statement of, or I could see the power in media. Um, yeah. And when, when I saw the reaction, people, I was like, man, I really, I want to do something like that. I, I want to be able to elicit, the, elicit these emotions from people and, and get people thinking and talking. 
And um, that was really the moment where I said, you know what, I want to go into filmmaking. And I remember making that decision probably, uh, I was in eighth grade, going into my ninth grade year in high school. And that's what uh, that's what really pushed me into it. And, and ever since, it was looking at that and uh, playing with it and working with friends and then kind of looking at it more as a career. So That's so cool. You and I are going to have to get together and, and <laughs> some other time, and you can give me a little bit of insider scoop because you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I love to I'm offer. a baby. <laughs> well, I bet it's been a, a really interesting uh, to watch uh, from the inside like that, uh, moving in the past decade from, uh, you know, independent filmmakers being, you know, you did it on the credit cards or you you did it with your last dime from the credit job you were working to crowdfunding <laughs> and, and uh Kickstarter's is about to pass the National Endowment for the Arts in, in the U.S. as far as how much money it, it uh, makes for independent oh, artists. Wow. Uh, so that must be quite the evolution. It's It's been fascinating to watch, and indeed, especially from the inside. And, you know, dealing with a subject matter such as DMT, uh, there has been a huge audience out there, kind of under the surface for a long time, uh, the psychedelic world in general. But uh, being able to watch it and seeing how fast this thing is growing, and you mentioned Kickstarter. We, we use Kickstarter to help to help get the film made and, and like I said, other things from credit cards, personal finances, and everything in between. Um, but uh, it, it makes it rewarding, you know, when you get to that point to, to be able to say, all right, I spent five years of my life, although it was difficult and we, we had a lot of roadblocks, uh, just to be able to figure out and creatively think outside the box of, all right, well, how am I going to go about getting this next chunk of funding or how do I approach the visualizations of this film? Um, because you're thinking about them a lot differently that way than you would if you had, you know, million dollar budgets from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So it, it has been extremely rewarding. And, and, you know, to echo what you said, Rick, we have covered every type of funding you could imagine to get this <laughs> thing out there. So, yeah. 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 Labor of love. Indeed. And labor of love. Yes. Such a fun adventure. So, um, how did you get involved with doing doing the DMT, the spirit molecule? I mean, was that something that just fit with you because of your interests, or did you run into somebody that got you peaked in that area? It was well. The, the short answer to that was a DMT experience. Um, I had never heard about DMT. I had explored psychedelics when I was younger as a kid and um, they were pretty frivolous, you know, I was just kind of hanging out or doing whatever. But before my last year of grad school, um, I had a friend that was moving back to Brazil and somebody had brought some and wanted to facilitate a session for the six people that were there. And I was doing my best to explain that I knew what the hell I was talking about and knew what I was doing. And, and the guy just was said, no, it's either you do or you don't. And I said, well, let's go for it. And um, that experience changed my life, uh, not just because it's put me here today, but uh, what it taught me. And, you know, I'm still working through exactly what that was. But the, the main thing was being humbled in such a way that uh, everything that I thought I knew existed and thought I knew what it was, was no longer the case. And it, almost immediately coming back from that first experience, uh, it solidified with me that I was going to tell this story. And it pushed me off on research for about four years. And then I came across uh, Dr. Rick Strassman's book 
And I thought that was going to be the perfect way to tell the story. It was, it had the nice bend of science and it also had the spirituality. And I think it grounded the, the, the project um, for people to be able to uh, outside the psychedelic community anyway, to, to make it a little bit more palatable, so to speak. And, uh, it was really that experience, and, and you know, it also did fit in with a lot of things that I was interested in, and, and things that I never knew I'd be interested in, but found myself researching and then reading about. So it was really that that first experience, and uh, you know, due to my due to the fact that I love curious and odd things, um, it uh, it made it happen, pushed me here. So that would, uh, I guess. Uh, you, you say a friend from Brazil, so that would have been uh, ayahuasca or something similar to it? No, it wasn't ayahuasca, actually. Um, I was able to do that once we did some filming down in Peru, actually, for, for the film. But uh, this was a uh, synthetic version that was a, ah. that was a smoked version. So I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. So it was a lot quicker experience for those that are that are unaware. It's a um, when it's ingested in that in that way, it is about a comes on in about thirty seconds, and everything shifts very rapidly. And everything that you kind of see as concrete or consensus reality is is gone within those thirty to forty five seconds. And then the experience is, is only five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Wow. And then you're brought back down to baseline. So it's, uh, you know, it takes you out real quick, slaps you around a little bit, and then drops you back down. Um, and, and at least. When the, uh, the the experiments that the that the doctor did with the bug, um, it, it that was a, a, a refined or a synthetic uh, DMT, and they were injecting that, weren't they, through an IV system? That's correct, yes. it was. That, that must have been... Yes, and that's even quicker Explosive. than the smoke part. It was, uh, you know, they'd have them on on their drip and uh, off they'd go. And it, uh, for those experiences, it it happens a little bit quicker. It comes on a little quicker. It was at ninety nine point nine percent pure. That was water soluble, so they could uh, use the IV. And sometimes those experiences could could last longer than that fifteen minutes. Um, and it, as I spoke to the volunteers or, or some of the volunteers from the subject. Um, it was extremely powerful for them. Yeah, it seems to me that would just be explosive, just like, boom, you're gone. Um, whereas the uh, ayahuasca is something that, that is imbibed, that, that that you drink, right? It is, yeah. It's, and um, so I, I would think that would then be slower to come on and last longer. That's correct. Yeah, the um, it does last that can last up to four to six hours. Um, it's a, a mixture that uh, they use two different plants. Uh, ayahuasca is actually the vine that they use that doesn't have the psychoactive com- uh, chemicals to it, but it allows your body not to break down the DMT. So it does come on, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, but then it lasts for, again, four to six hours. So it's a much longer experience. Wow. And it's a more grounding experience at the same time as opposed to the just to the um the quick ingestion of DMT. It it gives you a little bit more space to navigate and seems a little more earth based as opposed to otherworldly. That was exactly what I was gonna ask, would be what would be the differences between the two. <laughs> Thanks for reading my mind. Well, I'm a little more earth earth based and grounded and, and uh and is in a little more uh, the way Mother Nature provided it type form. Um, uh, I, I know some of the ethnobotanists and, and people seem to think that you get a more uh, gentle 
holistic experience that way. Um, but I like the way you talked about how you had an experience and you're still in, you're really sort of still integrating it. I think, I think a lot of people that do experiment with, um, you know, psychedelics that, uh, I've seen a lot of folks, even friends of mine back in the day when I experimented way back in high school and college days when I was a kid, um, that then just did it over and over and over and over and over and over again, rather than trying to let that, what does that, of course, like you said, a lot of the other psychedelics is just sort of, you know, you go hang out, you watch music, you, I mean, listen to music, you, well, sometimes watch music, but, um, <laughs> that is true. Music. <laughs> yeah, but not, nothing very serious, nothing life changing, uh, yeah. and, uh, something that it appears uh, from the movie and from, uh, uh, listening to others talk about ayahuasca and some uh, that that it tends to be life changing more often than not for people as opposed to the other way around. It really does, and it can be quite an experience. The ayahuasca, even though it, it, you know, as people say, it could be a little bit easier experience. It's also an extremely difficult experience. Your your body is, you know, the way I like to look at it is, is comparing it to a computer hard drive. Um, you're kind of resetting your entire energetic system. And wiping it clean, and so there is purging going on during that time, and sometimes there can be quite frightening or disturbing visions that come to you, and also about yourself, but uh, others, and it gets pretty intense. But um, like you said, more times than not, it seems to be a, a life-changing experience on some level, um, and a lot of times there's a common message of what we're doing here as a human population to, to take care of the earth. Um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of uh, ecological transmissions going back and forth between, you know, mother ayahuasca, a lot of people like to say, and the person that's under the experience, but definitely life changing in, in so many ways. You said that your experience was humbling. Can you definitely. elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, just to kind of give a little bit of a setup, I was living in New York, um, living a pretty fast-paced lifestyle, going a million miles an hour, and thought I had it kind of all figured out, or at least I had a general sense of what, what the world was, what reality was. And again, within those first seconds of the experience, it, it seemed like all of those things were deconstructed in seconds, and, and that's part of that reintegration process that I still feel like I'm reconstructing myself, and, and not in a, in a bad way or that I lost myself, but it, it, um, it gets rid of a lot of the, the cultural kind of buildup and blocks that, you, that we all have put upon us, uh, whether, you know, from any institution or parenting or, or anything in between. Um, it allows you to kind of recreate yourself and, and, and look at what you can do as opposed to what you can't do. Um, but so it, it humbled me in the sense that I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and it just reminded me that I didn't really know anything. So that can really push you to, to start asking yourself a lot of questions um, about yourself and relationships and, you know, the tangibility of, of what we think is kind of uh, this hard three-dimensional world that we live in. So this might sound like some to to as as an odd question, um, but it sounds to me like you thought you had control of your life and then had this experience and decided to just give up that control. And would you say that you're now doing more more th- things that are in, in alignment with 
who you are than you were doing when you thought you had control of it all? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and not only, you know, more in line with who I am, but rediscovering new parts of who I am um, or things that had been there that have just been laying dormant that I wasn't paying any attention to. And, and it's, it's changed my life in, you know, how I eat, how I walk down the streets, how I communicate with people, um, just psychologically how I work through my day-to-day process. Um, so it's, it, it, it really, the humbling aspect, you know, getting back to that, it, it, when you come out of that experience and, you know, after 10 minutes or so, you really do just start to kind of, every question that you've ever thought of or humanity's ever thought of about what reality is are flooding your entire being and you're trying to piece all those things together. Um, but you start to see that what the core essence of humanity is, or at least that was my sense, and how I could how I could help facilitate that and make not only myself a better person, but hopefully try to make the world a better place um, because of that experience. You know, it, it's, it's funny. I was just sitting here thinking, listening to you all talking. Uh, I could almost see now why some, you know, stodgy explorers who saw the world as something to be conquered might arrive, you know, in South America and some shaman take a look at him and, hmm, here, you need to drink this. And then they come back to England telling wild stories um, <laughs> because they, uh, I could see an indigenous people seeing this as, as a, a medication or a cure or a, uh, whatever sure you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A cure for the <laughs> insanity of wanting to abuse and conquer the planet. Uh because it rips those things you think are concrete, certain, three-dimensional realities, rips those away from you, sounds like. Absolutely. And I, and I just love the visual of um, explorers going back to England and trying to explain that to the queen. It would be quite, quite, quite an Off interesting with your push. Head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I doubt seriously the queen would have said, let them eat mushrooms, but... Um, uh- <laughs> Highly unlikely, yes, indeed. But yeah, it would have been interesting to even yeah to think about getting into the into some of the South American countries and and coming across uh, Amazonian indigenous populations that are drinking this magical tea. Because um, I could only imagine what that what that was like coming from a Christian based tradition and, and going into a completely odd and different world, but. Also, having something as powerful as ayahuasca to, to be so integrated into their their culture and, and what that meant. So it's a uh, fascinating to think about. Yeah, yeah, uh, quite the uh, quite the contrast. And I'm sure it seems to have been described as fairly shocking of, of an experience by, by several of the subjects. And so and and they have some idea what psychedelics are and. And I'm sure had some discussion about what you know some possibilities are, and for somebody to just get that clear out of nowhere, wow! I sure I'd say the shaman had control over demons too, and the priest to come in and kill them all. Look yep. at that. Yeah. Uh, because it, if the shaman gave it to him and was trying to help lead him or or be you know a stabilizing influence beside him, they might blame it all on them. Yeah, and it would be easy to do easy to do that, of course, coming from that from that from that mind frame. But in fact, there was just a recent uh, I want to say maybe five six months ago. There has and this has reminded me of it, and it switches a little bit. But there was um, I think upwards of twenty different murders of shamans in the Peruvian Amazon, um, 
where they were trying to knock off witch doctors. And this was recent. I mean, this is something that was within the last year, uh, year and a half that this yeah. was going on. And, and, you know, we'd think maybe we'd crumbled some of those, those old mind frames, but, um, you know, the religion has spoken, it popped back up again and uh, tried to wipe some of that out. And it's interesting at a time when all of this stuff is coming out and moving out into the world. Ayahuasca now is on every continent. Um, and, and people from around the world are traveling to the Amazon to, to have these experiences. Um, what's going on there? What sort of play is going on between the shamanic culture and this indigenous knowledge uh, using plant medicines and bumping up against the Western world? And, and what, what's happening and what could happen? Uh, if this stuff were somehow to get integrated into the Western world. I certainly think it would uh, change things pretty fundamentally. But, I would uh, think so, yeah. Now, what that would be, who knows? You could probably go on and on. I, I would I would offer that it, would, uh, it could definitely make a, a very positive impact, but that would have to be integrated in the right way. I mean, these are tools that are not to be played with lightly, and, and they should not be taken for granted. So there's... There have to be certain structures that are put in place for that. This is not a toy to play with. This is something that's been used by spiritual leaders for, you know, indigenous spiritual and tribal leaders for thousands of years as a gateway to higher information. I'm not sure if the population is quite ready for that. I mean... <laughs> well, and I'd, I'd be curious. You say you had the opportunity with uh when you were in peru uh did it were there shamans involved was there any sort of a setup or guidance provided before the experience um absolutely um every time that i had had the opportunity to drink down in south america there has been um set in in a traditional set um but it's not just the one experience there's anywhere from middle of two weeks up you know, upwards of two months even of eating a proper diet uh, where you just cut out pretty much everything in the Western diet for the, for the most part. Uh, but you're really pulling back, paying attention to self, meditating, and that's just leading up to the experience. Um, and then within the experience itself, um, the shamans and uh, apprentices are going to be singing throughout the experiences and working on psychological aspects, physical ailments, um, emotional ailments. And trying to pull you through that, so there is a context, and there there is um, a safety net, so to speak. So as you're going through these spaces that are so unusual and so different, um, you have that support system there to to kind of help push you along and and to make sure that you can go through that and and come back um, a different person and and hopefully a better person. So there's definitely a, a responsibility with regards to using this as a tool. Definitely, and and again, it's definitely not something to play with. And you know, even the even the first couple, you know, the couple of weeks leading up to it, um, just doing the diet or the dieta is uh, is definitely trying, uh, especially for somebody coming from a Western world that is not used to you know cutting out sugars and cutting. And it's it's essentially a vegan diet. You know, you're getting rid of all your all dairy. There's no meat, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, but there's also limitations on what those are due to sugar content. Um, cutting out coffee, really just kind of no grains, really bread and things. Well, breads are okay. They definitely have breads, but it's really about just kind of cleansing everything out and just going with as natural, um, natural food as possible. Um, and that makes the experience a lot easier to deal with once you're in it, um, when you have that clean vessel. 
So I, I would just like to throw in for anybody listening that might be listening because they've been thinking about this. Uh, if if you find somebody that's going to get you ayahuasca and and they just say, "Here it is, dude. Have fun." That's don't. That's not the place to get it. No. Do it. <clears throat> this is the the people that have known this for thousands of years treat it with great respect, and there's usually good reason for that. When anybody's worked with anything for thousands of years, if they're treating it with respect, it's because there's a good reason for it. And um, um, so, well, and I, if I could even back that up again too, that's a great point, and I'd like to just let people know there's a lot of people that are popping up now because of the popularity that's going on around the world that that say, "Hey, I've got the medicine, go take it." But and it's not just the psychological aspects that are that are built in, and you need kind of that safety net there or sitters. Um, there are a lot of medications uh, from the Western world and SSRIs or depression medications and, and even some other ones that react very, very badly to or with the ayahuasca. So it can uh, it can even cause death. And I, and I really encourage people to not take this lightly, to do research um, if they ever even consider uh, going in and trying this experience. It's not just about eating right for two weeks. There, there's a lot more to this and uh, a lot more preparation that needs to take place and a lot more thoughts um, and, and for safety purposes. This is uh, it can be a big safety issue. Right. So keep in mind that the, you know, the subjects in this study were in a hospital. They had yeah. medical personnel monitoring them uh, down in South America with real uh, indigenous shamans, uh, indigenous peoples. Uh, there's preparation. There's uh, you walked up to a real indigenous shaman in in Peru and said, you know, hey, dude, can we do ayahuasca tonight? <laughs> they would probably just look at you with a funky stare like. That would be uh, about, yeah. And, and, and walk away. So, um, and, and that would be the polite answer. Right. We're That, that would, yeah, be the polite <laughs> way to put it. Um, because we're big, we're big fans here at Everyday Connection of Exploring any way that people make that connection, and um, and and also big fans of stating that you know substances and things are not necessary, but when these natural substances were used by indigenous people, it was done in in a particular way, and uh, and with time afterwards to try to integrate you know what that was and what that experience meant, it was not recreational. And this is why, and this is something that we have an opportunity to touch on before the break, um, and then we'll come back and talk about the movie. But this is why it's so important for people to realize that shamanism is something that is taught over years of study. And it just tears my heart to see some people thinking that they can go to university or college for a year and be considered a shaman um, speaking from from the background of um, you know my own indigenous um, ancestry, there has to be a respect for the title shaman. This is something these people have studied for all their lives to hold this position, and these medicines, if you want to call them that, for lack of a better word, these compounds that they're using are, you know, things that they have been taught about at great length, the dangers of, you know, the the reasons why they're used, 
where they come from, how they're made, how long they've been used for. It's not something that you can learn overnight, I don't think. And it, it again, we're great fans of exploration, um, but we're also great fans of respect for self. And if you really want to have respect for self, then you have to take stuff like this seriously. And Absolutely. I, I, I've always told people, we will continue telling people, follow your passion. If your heart ignites and you think that's a direction, then go in that direction, but go gently uh, and do your homework and... Um, because it may just be that the homework will lead you to someone or something, and then your fork can go that way. Or it may be that you go right through with it. I'm, I'm not uh, voting against things like that either, but uh, just no, done no, properly. Like I said that, it's, uh, you know, uh, take it with care, but also educate and know kind of what you're getting into for sure. Exactly, exactly, which brings us to to a film that can help to educate, which would be your film, and uh, a quick musical break, and then we'll get back to talking in depth about the film itself and um, the actual content of the film and what people can expect. Great, I look forward to it. Good stuff. So let's do, uh, since we've been... No, not knowing what to expect, we'll talk <laughs> Jordan Oakland and don't know. We'll be back in uh, just under four minutes, folks. Stay with us.
again, that was our friend and EC family member, Jordan Okrand. You folks can find him at www.jordanokrand.com. Go check him out. He's just released an EP, and Gene says she likes every song on it. When's the last time you liked every song on an album? <laughs> Not yeah, very been a, often. Been a long time. So <laughs> check him out. So we're back with uh, Mitch Schultz, and we're talking about uh, DMT, and uh, we're going to talk a little more about the movie itself, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, now. Great. Now, I won't... Sorry, I want to get um, your reasons for the title first, before we... Because that probably explained to people a great deal about the film itself. Sure. Well, I, you know, th- that was the title of Rick's book, DMT, the spirit molecule, um, from his, from his experience with the, with the research. And I guess we decided to go with the title for the documentary as being the same for, for several reasons. One, it was already kind of known out there in, in this world and, and the title had already kind of stuck and people knew the book. So we wanted to kind of have that correlation between the documentary and the book. Uh, but I'd say the biggest one for me is that it really just made sense. Um, after going through the experience myself, doing the research and then reading Dr. Strassman's book, I think he, uh, he nailed the, uh, hit the nail right on the head, so to speak. It, um, he said he put a lot of time and effort into coming up, with the title and I and I just thought it stuck and I, I decided to go ahead and stick with it and it, it served it well. I think people respond to even if they don't know anything about DMT, just the title alone. It 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 gives you a little intrigue and interest and um and we're hoping that was that's what's happened. And I and I have a feeling that it has. Um just the the simple title of the spirit molecule really kind of solidifies with people. No, I think so. And there's a lot of uh, speculation and information out there on the spiritual implications and uh, uh, connections uh, with DMT, uh, uh, speculation as to what its role might be in the body, because this DMT is actually uh, produced in the body uh, and is a close cousin to uh, uh, tryptophan, L-tryptophan, which is you know also a close cousin to serotonin, which is what all these depression drugs are about these days, is modifying people's serotonin levels mm-hmm. um and um um it, it it seems to me that uh, there's you know tryptophan was something that was being used uh, before there was some controversy over some impurities uh by people that had difficulty sleeping by people that had that had mood mood disorders or mood ranges they didn't like let me put it that way I don't like disorders. Yep. Um, and um, <clears throat> um, so it, it, you know, it's in that same sort of grouping. And uh, but a lot of speculation I've been seeing in the areas of the internet that I turn around in on a daily basis of, of you know, what's it got to do with the pineal gland and what, you know, what's its purpose in the body and what's it do because it. It, it must have a valid purpose because, like you said, it's found in almost every plant and animal on the planet. Well, potentially, that's the interesting thing. Um, you know, we we do know that it's 
that it's in our bodies. Uh, we do know that it's you know it's found in blood, it's found in urine, it's found in lungs, uh, spinal fluid. Um, so it is you know all over us. Now, Dr. Strassman's thought was or theory in the book was that it is produced by the pineal gland, uh, which is a small gland in the center of the brain, the only part of the brain that doesn't have two hemispheres to it. And it has the two precursors um, that are secreted from the pineal gland to make DMT, but they're still not sure if DMT is actually produced in the pineal gland. So it's definitely something I like to always clarify. A lot of people have taken Dr. Strauss and stuff, so it's, it's made in the pineal gland. But I don't think that diminishes the fact that it's still in our bodies. Um, and right. it's still there. We don't know why, as you said, but that we do know now, too, that it's also found... Um, uh, used in vision, um, something about it being in the cortex, visual cortex of the, of the, so it could potentially be kind of regulating how we're seeing reality on a day-to-day basis, depending on the fluctuation of, of how much DMT is going through the body. And uh, you also mentioned too the the ubiquity of it all over all over nature. We don't know that uh, that it's in every animal or plant, but we know that it's in thousands of plants. We know it's in every mammal. There, it is um, in some toads and, and amphibians. But potentially could be in every every animal because it does have, or every living organism for that matter, because they have the two basic building blocks uh, that make DMT. So it it just again raises a lot of questions as if this molecule is all over nature, within our own body and everywhere else. So what what does that mean? Is there that is that that common kind of molecular? connection that we all have um and when i say all i bugs grass us cows and and everything so in the movie uh, you talk with some of the subjects uh, as to their you know direct experiences uh but you also have a lot of uh well you have just a tremendous number of people that are expert in various fields uh uh, that sort of uh, take a look at some of those questions, uh, uh, don't they? They do, um, and we we had a great cast, a uh, great lineup. I wish we could have used all of them, but um, we and I, and the thing is with the film, we didn't try to necessarily answer these questions. We just wanted to ask them, um, and you know, how do these things tie into the natural life force? Um, is there a quantum connection that we can make there? Is this a spiritual experience even? Or is this just your brain on drugs? Um, and we kind of go round and round with that. But we tried to touch on it from you know a mathematical standpoint, from um, ethnobotany, try to understand it in culture, try to understand it in sounds, visual scape. Um, and and it's just we kept kind of kneading at it in a lot of different ways and poking at it. And I don't think that we'll well, – we may never know what it all is or what it all means – but it was right. it's fun to just start kind of trying to wrap your head around it. And for me, you know, this starts to go beyond just psychedelics. This is this is more of an issue of consciousness for me. I think that's you know one of humanity's biggest questions of all times is like how are we conscious beings and what makes us unique in that regard, or are we unique in that regard? Yeah. Uh, and it's to me that that conscious aspect of what we understand as this physical three-dimensional consensus reality. I don't, and, and science is starting to uncover this more and more, especially in the quantum realm, that there, there's other forces that are constantly pulsating through us at all times um, and stuff that we can't necessarily see or feel uh, directly. And so it, it seems that DMT or other psychedelics seem to kind of open up that gateway a little bit and give us a sense of a, of a wider view of this reality and kind of open up those, those filters, so to speak. 
and I don't know where I was going with all that, except for that. Uh, well, it, well, but I do appreciate the way that. Yeah, I do appreciate the way that the film raises uh, as many or more questions than than it answers, uh, because as you said, we don't really have all these answers. There's 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 great theories. It's not just speculation. There's great theories presented uh, by some of the folks in the film, but you don't. The film doesn't take any one point of view and say, okay, look, this is, we've now co collected all the experts and this is it. This is how it is. Because in a way, the DMT experience is almost opposed to that of this is the one concrete way that it is. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think we do know. And although there are so many similarities in people's experiences uh, with the compound, there's still a lot of differences in there too. Um, so, you know, there might be some some very common aspects of whether it be an entity or whether it be an emotion that's attached to it or color palette. Uh, but there's still a lot of differences and, and and bigger shifts where some people can have a complete bliss state, other people can have a very terrifying experience. <laughs> so, it starts to fit in. At least my thought is with that is, um, you know, what you're bringing to the table, where you are psychologically yourself that can have that impact. Right, and, and perhaps in part why uh, indigenous cultures have the preparation rituals and preparations that they do uh, to try to help you be in a better space. Um, because I think you're right, it is, uh, uh, to, you know, take responsibility for the energy you brought to the table. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, uh, but it, uh, I, Part of that not having the answers, maybe they're different for different people. Uh, but but you talk about the some real stunning similarities, which just really isn't the case with some other psychedelics. Um, I heard, um, oh goodness me, Graham Hancock. Yes, Graham. Uh, uh -huh. Talking the other day and uh, on a video. Um, and uh, I, I wasn't sure whether it was something that was was touched on in the in the movie or not. Like Jane said, this is one of those watch it more than once and keep getting more stuff out of it because it's it is very pithy. Um, but he was talking about how he's sort of beginning to see when you look at cave paintings in France and cave paintings in New Mexico and cave paintings over here that are separated by not just thousands of miles but thousands of years. So it wasn't just a question of travel, as did these two cultures speak. They they didn't even exist anywhere near the same time frame. Yet there are, of course, local animals and people. But then there are these things, these images that sort of appear or very similarly appear in all of these places. And he's sort of putting forward the question he's he's not even really sure it's a theory but the question of is it possible it's the way he framed it was is it possible that these are shamanistic images that were because of some uh parallel reality or parallel experience that they all visited with uh uh DMT or some sort of a uh, of an assist uh and I thought that was a very interesting question cuz there are some similarities in these cave paintings and things that you can't explain well. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, uh, 
through, you know, somebody got in a canoe and was lucky enough to make it or any of that kind of baloney that they like to throw at theories. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Does that, like he said, he said, is it possible? Uh, do you think it's possible that there, that could be the common line running through these arts? I, I, you know what? I think so. And I've talked to Graham about this on several occasions and heard him talk about it. And um, just through my own experience, I, there seems to be something there. Um, and I, and the theranthropic beings, I believe, is how how they're um, what they're how they're called or what they're called, and they're half human, half animal, spiritual beings, and they see a lot of these similarities. But then I think we could even take it a step further and start looking at a lot of the myths um, from all over the world. You know, there are always these little trickster characters. There are elves, and there are fairies, and there are a lot of these different worlds that match up even even through some of our more you know modern myths as opposed to going back to the thirty thousand year periods of of cavemen um and the, and that seems to be a common thread throughout all of our mythologies it's, this is inv- invisible invisible realm um that things are existing in at the same time that we are and and i I think Graham's got something there I really really do um I think that there's got to be. I mean, we're all human beings. We've all gone through the same things. We all want the same things and need the same things and come from the same source. And whether we know exactly what that thing is, if it's a fairy or if it's a, you know, half bird figure that's coming off the wall, I think there's there is some commonality there that that needs to be explored a little bit more. Yeah, and I see the Graham talk about that is just enthralling because <laughs> he's a heck of a speaker. Oh, he is. I I uh, I've enjoyed his work for a while, and I. Uh, and I enjoy that when he is seen in interviews, he's always. I always looked at that. I wanted to ask these questions. I'm not sure I've answered any of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, because people do. After a while on the internet, it's almost like the pass the secret around at the party thing. Uh, some of the theories or questions that someone might raise are later attributed as them saying that that's a fact when all they were doing was saying, "Could this be possible?" Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, uh, again, you did. Uh, I feel y'all did just such a great job of uh, maintaining that uh, uh, slightly disconnected, you know, from the outcome view in the in the movie because that's missing sometimes even in mainstream media these days. Well, maybe a lot's in mainstream media these okay. days. Just about to say the same. <laughs> well, it's going to be uh, interesting. I did I don't know if I'd even brought this up before, but the. Um we only used 1% of our interview footage in the film itself. And we interviewed roughly 50 people across all different walks of life and, and study. But what we're doing um, actually starting a week from tomorrow is we're going to release the DMT remix project. And essentially what that is, is we're going to be putting out all of our footage so people can watch this stuff and it'll be a, a non-commercial creative commons. So people can watch this stuff. They can make their own films with it. They can share it with people and so I want this to kind of be a new way of discussion or at least to, for people to get out there and, and start looking at, at what some of these thoughts are and, and, and kind of teasing them a little bit and having a discussion with a friend or a family member and letting this you know, broader culture uh, get their hands on these, on these ideas. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now once this discussion moves outside of just this one-and-a-half-hour, one-hour and 15-minute film. And this whole collection of knowledge is starting to, to get used and – and recut and, and new juxtapositions and, and just new vocabulary and new words to to start understanding and start talking about what this new way of consciousness is. Yeah, and I think that's uh, 
I think that's an awesome vision, and I I certainly hope it certainly has the the stuff to do it with um, because it's that conversation, it's that batch of questions um, that I think people need to be asking, and um, instead of you know where's the next political savior coming from is what's yeah. really going on here, you yeah. know before before you can even decide which what might be the right politician. That's one of those words, Gene. <laughs> it's one of those words. It's almost like guru Explain or something. Explain to me why it's one of those words. Politician. Break that down for me. Right here, right now. Come on, you can do it. Oh. I just put the bad taste in my mouth, personally. <laughs> yeah, well. This year. When it, uh, It's gone to the extreme, really. <laughs> You just don't have it for me, do you? I love you. <laughs> I usually do. Like some, you usually do. He's got this wonderful way of breaking down words and explaining how they came to be in the first place. And there's a lot of times when he'll give me a word, he'll break it down for me into com- different components, and I'll look at the word and go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I didn't see that. Like, how did I not see that? You know, little things like disease, dis-ease. Duh. Well, and then you know, switching from DMT into the world of politics, I can understand the uh, the slight disconnect there. So, I got you back on this one, Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's pretty much a made-up word, politician. But it's a practitioner of, or somebody that has something to do with politic, which is something Aristotle thought up. And who elected him anyway? Um, and. Um, which means affairs of state, and what's that anyway? State, or relating to citizens, or something along those lines. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. very, very nebulous, circular. Somebody made that up. We got to get over that. All I know is it's got a lot to do with borders and division, and I just I'm not down with that. So um, we need to find a new game to play. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um. I am fascinated by this release tomorrow because to be able to take, and this is from somebody who um, we still haven't released the first film that we did yet, but from somebody who's gone through the process, um, to be able to have the opportunity at one point to be able to um, take all the the behind-the-scenes footage and put that out to the public and let them make their own judgment call would be a really exciting proposition. I'm excited to see what happens. I I think that, um, you know, I had roughly four years to dig through that footage and spend time with it and sit with it and just have a sense that this could really kind of change the the discussion. And I'm excited to really see what happens once other people get their hands on it, like other filmmakers, like you said, to to start finding these new stories that are there. I mean, we've got 100 hours of great interview footage, and there's probably five, six, seven, eight full-length documentaries in that footage that could be that could be constructed. And I only took 1% of that. So to start to see what sort of an impact that has on culture, um, that's where it gets exciting um, and start to get people thinking about this stuff and just coming at it from a totally different um, lens. Uh, creative commons. Wonderful thing. And I think more people should look into it and, 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 imbibe in it because it's uh it's the way of the future uh this intellectual property crap is 
you know, as much as I like to say this is part of my this is part of my thing and this is my creation, at the same time, it uh, you know, information is is free and should be free. And I think there, you know, I mean, there has to be a certain responsibility as far as getting paid for your time to put it into a neat package that can entertain um, and inspire. But this idea that a, an idea can be owned is uh, well, and particularly if there's any challenging to wrap my. If there's any truth to this theory. Uh, this this theory that's implied by the question that Graham has asked, uh, you know, is is there this common parallel sort of going on right here at the same time? Just can't see it. Well, then, whose idea was it? Yeah. How do you? I'm not saying it's not. You know, that's that, that we're not brilliant enough to to invent our own ideas and that some fairy has to come put them in our head. But how do you know? Yeah. And how do you bring that to? court somewhere it's hard it's uh it's it is a touchy one and, and like you said it's uh you know yes we would like to be compensated for whatever work the time that you put into something but you know the more i thought about it it's all of these ideas that were going to be sitting in my vault for you know however long and nobody else getting their getting to wrap their heads around it uh, it seemed like it seemed like a waste and it felt like Humanity and culture needed to see these things, so I, it, it was almost it was almost a no brainer for me. Just to, let's go put it out, let's see what happens with it, and let people have some fun with it. But uh, it is it's a tough one because you do want to survive, and I want to be able to feed family and have a roof over my head. But at the same time, I feel that these things can make a bigger impact on culture than than just a paycheck. And there's always the next project, you know. Always the next project. Always, always the, the next, next project. project. It's always the next project, the next creation, the next adventure. Um, well, there are several kind of in the works, and they're actually they're actually informed by DMT. I'm working on a uh, what I'm calling this four part manifesto uh, at a way that humanity can look at reconnecting to spirit, and and that's however you understand spirit. But the first part of that being consciousness connected to spirit through through DMT, or at least not you know not just DMT, but looking at consciousness in the way that it can facilitate mystical experiences. And coming back from that, and I've started shooting this documentary. It's called Ground of Being, and what we're going to be looking at is once you come back with that quantum awareness, how are we working in the physical world? You know, how are we growing food? How are we treating animals? How are we treating one another? And there's a place in uh, Melbourne, Australia, that's, it, the name of the place is called Ceres, and it's an educational sustainability park. And we kind of use them as a model to to look at how we could be living a better way uh, in the physical world. And then the third part of that is, or the, the third project, is called Global Beat Fusion. And we're looking at the computer as the first global folk instrument, where all the musicians around the world are essentially playing one instrument now to share their traditional mythology and music with the world. And then the last one is going to be looking at language, the power of language and how language essentially creates our reality and how we can kind of modify our language and mythology to, to move forward. So they're, they're all intertwined, and we're going to be using the same model that we did with, with DMT. We'll be putting out all that footage as we, as we move forward. So there'll be constant streams of uh, sustainability material, same thing with international music, and then getting into writings and mythologies uh, down the road. And then looking at the whole thing as a package. You know, how do we start to understand our conscious connection, come back to the physical, 
celebrate that that connection and then and then go out and explain that and, and celebrate in that to the world and live in a better way on the planet. Yeah, well, it's good to know that there's other people out there with very small vision. <laughs> <laughs> so all I do is I dream, I dream small. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not the only crazy ones. We're not the only crazy ones. Wow. No, I love that. Best part about it is I think there are more and more people coming together every day just like us. So we, I think there are a lot of – I think everybody has big dreams. I really do. I think, Actually, I think everybody has those. Thousands of them. We're working on a film to talk about some of them. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. And, it's uh, all about, interestingly enough, about eco-sustainable living. Oh, wow. Right. Going to go visit yeah. several different communities and, and see what they're doing. and Several different countries. Basically. On- Basic ground rules, it has to be easily repeatable, you know, not dropping a computer-controlled hoo-ha into the middle of Africa. We don't, yes. That doesn't work. <laughs> and, and I think that some of these crowdfunding things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo are, it's, that's the energetic exchange that there's a lot of people that see that and they go, wow, yeah, I'd give 10 bucks to help make that come a, become a reality. You know, yep. and well, I see it as a unique opportunity for the public to take back their power with regards to what they're going to support as far as entertainment and education. It's a great because point. up until now, it's been you know you subscribe to cable or to satellite, and you basically pay them so much a month, and you take what they feed you in terms of of entertainment, and the same with listening to the radio. Um, and yeah, okay, so they make their money off of advertising, but ultimately, you know, it's still the consumer who pays for the radio station, and it's a long way around. This way, it's more direct, and it's more personal, and people can actually get involved with the projects that they're supporting, and then, you know, watch the journey and the progression and the growth of whatever project they're, you know, they're a part of, or they're supporting, and then be there to celebrate its completion. Getting people involved, I think, is is going to be the way of the future. I, the idea of passive media intake is is ancient at this point. There there has to be this interaction that goes on. I mean, the web has has opened that up for us, but you no longer sit back and just take in media or very little compared to what we used to do as as a media watching culture. Now we're expected to interact with it. We're expected to know. We're expected to go out and find a different aspect of that story on the website, or go find a different aspect of that in a book, or a different part in the in a song. Um, and it, it's it, it's a different different way to, to interact with media um, than we ever have had. And it, it's it's also good to have people that believe, like you said, in what that content is to go out there and be a part of that, and they can see the positive change and. And continue to make that happen, and then and they feel involved, and that gives them a greater sense of responsibility as well. It's absolutely the the day of writing a check to um, to a popular charity and feeling good that you've you know that you've contributed to society has gone by the wayside. People yes. want to know what it is that they're contributing to, and they want to be involved. Well, we've. We get the opportunity to talk fairly often about independent musicians because we bring them on, we play their music during breaks. And um, we love them. And we love them. <laughs> and we love them. But we talk with them when they come on about how there seems to be this restoration of 
it's over the internet, but it's almost like the old days when the wandering minstrel and his audience were one on one, face to face, you know, and there was more of a conversation than there was a a dumping of entertainment. And um, it, it, I don't think people have stopped to take time to notice that that's going on with video, with movies, with documentaries, with with everything that people uh, consume, really. They're mm-hmm. wanting that two-way, you know, conversation with their widget providers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Don't we all just want our widget providers to give you us just, this? Should I, I think it's gone. <laughs> where's my widgets coming from this month? <laughs> but um, uh, Well, that's part of, you know... It, the idea behind the DMC Remix project is, is having that interactivity. You know, I, I think this is a um, this isn't a story that that just I should be able to go tell or Dr. Strassman or a few other handful of people working in this realm. But why not put this all this stuff out there and let's see uh, through interactivity and through discussion what sorts of new models kind of pop up and and by releasing that footage, I'm hopeful that that can be the case um, where where people do feel involved. You know, they're 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 part of a process and they're part of a bigger debate and discussion of of what exactly is going on in this reality that we live in. So maybe we should make a widget for that. That's might do. There we go. More like that. You got an app for that? You got an app for that? Well that's that new meaning widget, you know what I meant. But um gotta make people laugh twice a show. Absolutely. It's it's gotta be part of it. Um, well, Gene, we did ask for questions and we got a couple of them and we've got about 18 minutes left, 15, 17 minutes left. What yeah. do we do? Um, do well, we we've play? done already, we might as well do questions. We've already done two songs, so we'll do, um, question. Let's and do a couple of quick questions and then we want to be sure we get websites and how people can find. Yeah. Great. All right. So, um, the first one here is, how did you get in contact with Joe Rogan, and what influence did he have on the documentary? I think <laughs> we have a Joe Rogan fan in the chat room. Yeah, well, Joe, uh, I was introduced to Joe Rogan via Dr. Strassman. Uh, Rick, or Dr. Strassman and Joe had been in contact, and Joe had had his experience, and, and had reached out to Dr. Strassman to kind of just, just talk and, you know, touch base. And once I talked to Dr. Strassman, I said, man, I really want to make the movie, but I, I want to have a character of some sort. I wanted to have a pop culture uh, face on there. And he said, well, Joe Rogan. And I said, okay, well, I didn't really know much about Joe Rogan except for Fear Factor and um, didn't really seem to be the common fit right away. But uh, got in touch with Joe through Rick and uh, just started having a discussion. And I, Joe was an amazing guy, extremely intelligent guy, um, quick on his feet and, and just had a lot to bring to the table. And I, and I liked that he could potentially bring in a different audience that than, than we could bring with just a psychedelic audience. So I, I contacted Joe via, via Dr. Strassman and we chatted, uh, Joe and I chatted for almost two years before we actually shot him uh, out in LA for the, for the parts of the film that he was in. And the other good note on that is that uh, Joe came out and did this, um, for nothing. He just wanted to be a part in this because he believed in the project so much that he gave up uh, an entire Sunday to to come out and be a part of this and, and shoot with us. Uh, 
And we're finding the same thing in our uh, uh, experience so far. We get in touch with these groups. We get in touch with people that might help us get in touch with groups, and, and uh, they're all just like, oh, that's so cool. When? Are you guys coming? Can you come next week? <laughs> we're like, we need a little fundraising, but we're coming. We're coming <laughs> we'll in a there. couple of months. We'll be there. <laughs> it's great. I mean, people do really respond and and they believe in in these things that are making positive change. I believe, and they get out and they they want to support. And they want to be a part of it, and it's it's good to see that from people. Uh, humans are awesome. Humans are very awesome. And so then he asks about another uh, character is. Um, have you ever talked with David Wilcock or read his book, The Source Field Investigations? I have not uh, spoken to him or read the book, actually. I am familiar with him, but that uh, that's it. I do not know anything else beyond that. Very cool. <laughs> Easy one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get asked often about, you know, well, gosh, I've heard you talk on the radio. Do you know about – no, Sorry. There's a whole lot of people on the planet. There's 7 billion people I'm trying to keep up, but wow. Well, and it's somebody that I would like to look into. I, I've, in fact, that name has been coming up a lot, and I know there's some uh, interesting research that uh, or thoughts that he's been kind of playing with, and I'd like to like to look into it. So I, I might take that as a sign to go do that. So good good question, Jason. Good job. But uh, uh, but it's just true that you know we've discovered that when we started looking at this film project, that there's more uh, more places than we could say grace over. We'd yeah, have, we'd have it opens a, up a lot of different doors, doesn't it? We'd have a twenty-hour documentary. Who's gonna? What? <laughs> what do we feed people at the breaks? What <laughs> is that a union really, thing? It, it it got right crazy for, for a little while. Where you know, it was every day somebody was. Well, have you checked out this organization? That organization. It's like, ha, oh, whoa, we only have so much time, dude. <laughs> I can't um give you know, I can't give my director um thirty different places to have to go to and film because he's gonna strangle me. Although he might actually go for that. Well <laughs> he's almost crazy trouble. enough to do that. I'm the one that he keeps would. saying, Hey now <laughs> Yeah. He, he he would he would too spend four months on the road if he could, but it is what it is. Um, it's a grand adventure and I don't think uh, anybody who's ever been in the business even with all the challenges, um, would say that they'd want to do anything else. It's a lot of fun and, and rewarding. So it's, it's a great business. It's tiring, but uh, but filmmaking can be very rewarding. It absolutely can. So, how can people find out? Um, give us all all your information as far as like you said you're launching tomorrow. So, we need information on that. Yes. Uh, website would be awesome. The uh, the DMT Remix site is uh, dmtrmx.com, and that will be going live. It'll actually be a week from tomorrow, so March the 9th. Uh, then also the documentary website is just thespiritmolecule.com. And then the, the one that we've kind of started up with this – uh, the, the Facebook page has a really, really great community on it, and we have all sorts of different discussions and articles and things that are posted on there, and that's has kind of been just for the film, but now that's expanding out into the remix project as well, and that's just the facebook.com slash the.spirit.molecule, 
that you can find, uh, you know, right on Facebook. And we've got over 150,000 fans that are participating in that communication and it's growing daily. So I'd, I'd highly encourage people for new content and, and new ideas to come check that out as well. Excellent. That is all very exciting stuff. So we'll have links to all that in our archive this evening, folks. It'll be up about 30 minutes, 45 minutes after the show. Um, got them here in the uh, chat room. And uh, But we always like to get those out for podcast listeners that may be far away from a screen when they hear us. Are you being amazed to look at these reports of, you know, it tells me what browser they use and, you know. A lot of cell phone browsers coming to visit in our site. Oh, really? That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Cell phone radio. That's it. Ah, the world, how it is changing, huh? The space device was talked about in the so. 50s is finally here, huh? That's right. That's that's that film, How William Shatner Changed the World. It's, yeah. It's a look at how the Star Trek technology, you know. Great, great movie. It, kids grew up and they said, well, yeah, that kind of had a little influence. That's what I wanted to make was a cell phone that looked like that. <laughs> and look at here we go. So How William Shatner changed the world. Yeah, yeah. Is that even legal for a film title? Yeah. <laughs> well, they hired, he's in the thing, so yeah, probably so. But um but it is a good movie. It's a it's a really farcical look at, you know. Look at all this stuff we've got today. We did this first on Star Trek in the sixties, what? You yeah. people are just catching up. There's uh, a lot of times when I look at our technology and go, Hey, Star Trek did that. Order. That's it. Yes, I will. <laughs> yeah. have to watch that movie. So, if there's, uh, you got the floor for a couple of minutes, Mitch. Uh, yeah. Do you have a message to give to people? You one thing to say. Oh gosh, say. you know what? <laughs> it's so great that you're asking me that question because that's usually the last question I ask my interviewees and in all my films, and uh, they always either love that question or absolutely hate it. So you caught me off guard a little bit. Um, <laughs> I try. I do try. I appreciate it. I think there's several things. Uh, I just want to get back really quick to our launch next week for the DMT Remix Project. We are going to be having an event for South by Southwest Interactive that is going to be the actual launch. And on the website and on the Facebook page, you'll be able to see this. But we'll be streaming the event live. So hopefully um, people can come in and tune in and check that out. But um, back to the question of what do I want to tell the world or or in general, I think um, tread lightly and keep an open mind and also just understand that every individual out there has their own perception of reality and that their individual perceptions of reality make up the broader context of reality. So nobody is right and nobody is wrong. And we just all need to learn how to empathize with one another just a little bit more. Uh, And I think that that can help dissolve some of these barriers that we know that we all kind of want and need the same things. And if we don't realize that we're all floating through space together on this, on this one planet soon, then then it's going to be problematic. And we all need to kind of come together and start to, uh, to empathize and just to love one another a little bit more. So, Understand your perspective is not the only that we have millions and millions of them out there, and that we just need to uh, to walk with caution, but also in awe. Continue to have awe and be amazed at what this amazing planet is and what we have out there. Wow! Did that, did that cover it. <laughs> Very awesome well answer. said. Very well said, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So. 
we're getting close to the end of the show, so we're just going to, um, I guess, we'll do a quick run over of uh, our film information for our listeners because we've been um, sharing that now for a couple of weeks. Uh, if you guys are still interested in, in learning more about uh, Changemakers, the film, it's www.changemakersthemovie. And, of Not course, me. our website, pardon? Dot oh, me. dot me. <laughs> <laughs> dot okay. me. I forgot the me. It's all about me. Okay. Uh, and, if, of course, our website, uh, which uh, tonight's show will be uh, put up on in the next probably 20 minutes to half an hour, is www.everydayconnection.me. And, um, and our, our crowdfunding page uh, is linked right off the front of our Changemakers movie site. But it's at Indiegogo, so uh, you can go to www.indiegogo.com and just look for Changemakers, the movie. Um, Long live the independent filmmakers. Yes. Yes, the crazy ones that think they can change the world. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing what you guys uh, are putting together as well. And um, I'd love to continue the conversation somewhere down the road and maybe let some other people get their hands on this material and start playing with it. So I look forward to what happens. We we can absolutely, absolutely. do. Um, yeah, because the remix is going to be fun. I oh think yeah, that's I'm be so grand. excited about that for sure. I want to see uh, see what comes of that because the, the movie was right fascinating for me. Because we take all of our we we don't have the kind of footage that you've got yet, but all of our uh, uh, radio archives and website and all that stuff's cre- uh, Creative Commons. Oh great! Well, have fun with it. Thing that we're asking from people too, if they uh, are interested in the project. Um, to you know, we'll put that into our coll- not in our collection, but you know, showcased in, within the DMT Remix project, and get people to drive there and, and start to look at the thoughts and the things that you're exploring in relationship to what's going on over here, and vice versa, and, and how all that fits in. So I, I hope that we can have that that cross germination. Ah, uh, fantastic! That sounds like a plan. That's given given our plans for a, a eco sustainable wiki site. We really ought to get to talking, Mr. There's a, Schultz. There's a there's a <laughs> Let's keep talking. I love it. We'll do it. All right. Right. So, folks, uh, join us again next week. Uh, we're here every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, next Tuesday, we have a uh, musical artist, another one of our indie artists, Maria Brodskaya. And uh, then we have, on uh, Thursday next week, we have Kimberly Riggins, the author of uh, The Art of Eating Chocolate Naked. Oh, it sounds so wonderful. I'm sure that's going to be exciting. Uh, the title is at least going to get us a bounce, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, folks, so join us again next week, and until then, stay connected. Join Rick and Jean again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me, and be sure to like their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Worried you might miss an episode? Don't worry. Subscribe. Find us on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee. You can dare to stop searching 
and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.